0: If you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be. you don't have a Bible? Um, there is a uh, black hardback Bible in the pew. Take it home with you. I want you to have it. I want you to be able to spend time in the Word of God this week. So take that with you. We can replace it if you don't want a hardback copy. See me afterwards. I'll make sure I get you a not hardback copy. Even if I just give you one that I have in my office, you can have it. Um, but if you'd like, uh, there are several good Bible apps that you can put on your phone or your tablet. If you've got that, you can feel free to use one of those this morning. Um, but Bible Gateway has an incredible app. You can have, uh, I don't know, 70, 75, 80 translations of the Bible right there in your phone or on your tablet. Guess what? You can get them a bunch of languages too. You can even get Deutsch if you want to speak a little Deutsch and learn the Bible in Deutsch. That's Dutch for you non-Deutsch speakers. So uh, we're gonna be in the book of Revelation this morning looking at the church in Philadelphia. I'm not talking about Philly up north in Pennsylvania. I'm talking about the historical church in Philadelphia in Asia Minor. Uh, So as you're turning, before before I forget, get. I want to make a couple of quick announcements. Um, this afternoon, as you know, we have uh, the celebration of life for Rick Jones, one of our deacons who passed away this week. Um, I have been asked by the family, if you are a NASCAR fan, you can feel free to wear your NASCAR shirt, hat, boxer shorts, whatever it is that you have that's NASCAR, please feel free to wear that. Also, um, there will be an internment service on Tuesday at the the Georgia National Cemetery up in Canton. Um, if you are interested in going, I will be driving the bus so that we can take people from the church. Uh, Canton's about 65, 70 miles up the road. So if you are interested, let me know today because space is limited to the 14 chairs that are there. And I doubt three or four people have already told me they want to ride. Let me know so we can make accommodations if necessary for that. The service will be at 2:30 uh, in Canton. So I want to make sure everybody uh, knew. About that. So here we are, Philadelphia. We're going to talk about a church with confidence this morning. So if you've got your place in Revelation chapter 3, let me invite you to stand with me if you are able as we read the Word of God together, looking at verses 7 through 13 together this morning. This is the words of Christ to us today, originally to the church in Philadelphia. And He says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews but are not, they are liars, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. And that's beautiful. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we look to you. We look to you, King Jesus, the victor, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our savior. Lord God Almighty, you are the one who wrote it into the annals of time that you would send your son to bear our sins, to die the death that should have been ours, to pay the penalty that was on us. So Lord, we ask that by your spirit, we would have ears to hear your word so that we can honor you each and every day. Not just this little time we're here at church, but tomorrow when life hits again. Tuesday, when life hits again, Wednesday, when life hits again, each and every day have lives that are marked by the cross. Teach us, Lord, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So if you were to go to your good friend at Oxford and find his dictionary and look up the word confidence. Confidence. You're going to find a very simple definition. Oxford definition of confidence is uh, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. We're talking about a firm trust. And we hear a lot about confidence in the world today. We hear a lot about confidence in ourselves and confidence in those around us. And we hear a lot about how confidence shapes us. As a matter of fact, if you were to pull out your little smart device and click on the Google app and Google the word confidence, let me tell you what you're gonna find. You're gonna find the definition and then you're gonna find about 34 billion pages on how you yourself can have more confidence in yourself or how your business can have more confidence In itself. As a matter of fact, society around us has the idea that confidence is only something for you, about you, and in you. But here we find a church that has confidence and it has nothing to do with who they are, it has nothing to do with the individuals in the church. It has nothing to do with that collective group. And I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself. I don't want you walking out of here like Eeyore and oh, ho, hum, it's another day. Because the gospel gives us the ability to have a true and unwavering confidence. Remember the last words of our Oxford definition, a firm trust, a firm trust. See, I believe that Jesus is writing this letter to the church in Philadelphia to encourage them to hold their firm trust that they have. Well, how did this church have confidence? What does a church with confidence look like? Notice with me that we find that a confidence in our church is because of who Jesus is. See, we can have confidence today in a lot of things. We can have confidence in our friends. Don't we go to our friends in confidence, right? We go to them, we share something we expect. You're not going to tell anybody else because you've got this firm trust that if you share a secret with them, it's not going to go anywhere else until tomorrow when somebody says, I heard what you had going on. Ooh, You want know to burn a church down faster than anything? No confidence in one another. We have confidence in our jobs. We want our jobs to be there tomorrow. We have confidence that if we go to work, we're going to get paid, right? We've got confidence in the grocery store that the products they're selling us aren't going to kill us or make us incredibly sick. I mean, just think for a second, if you do all of your shopping at, let's say Publix, you do all your shopping at Publix and every time you shop at Publix, when you leave, you get sick. You're not going to shop at Publix anymore, are you? If every time you go to the meat counter at Publix and they give you some steak and they give you some pork chops, they give you some chicken, and you spend the entire night in the bathroom sick at your stomach, you're going to stop buying your meat at Publix because you're kind of losing confidence, right? You put confidence in little Purell wipes to wipe off the shopping cart when you go to Target or Walmart to make sure that you don't get any sickness. We put confidence in a lot of things. Because we're trusting. But notice what happens in Philadelphia. Jesus writes to them and says, this is what the message I have for the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Write this. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one who opens, says this. This verse directs us back to the person of Christ Jesus. And everything that flows out of this, I know your perseverance, I know how you've held on, and these are the promises that I'm going to make to you based on your faith. It all comes back to having confidence in who Jesus is. I believe that Christians today need a little confidence. Confidence. I believe that churches today need a little confidence. And it's not confidence in the pastor. It's not confidence in the music. It's not confidence in the Sunday school. It's confidence in the Savior. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I am the one who is holy. You can have confidence in Jesus today because he is holy. He is holy. Jesus is set apart from everything. He is pure. He is the one who is undefiled. And because he is holy, he has the authority and the ability to look in your life and to look in my life and see all that is unrighteous, to see all that is wicked, to see all that is evil and say, I can do something about that. I can do something about that. My van's making this strange bump noise. I've been supposed to take it to the shop for a couple of weeks. Now, I just haven't had a chance to. I think it's something to do with the transmission. The more I drive it, the more I'm thinking, okay, there's a transmission issue that I got I to gotta get fixed. But here's the deal. I'm not going to take my car. I'm not going to take it to the guy at Zaxby's and say, can you help me with this? He might be able to make me a chicken sandwich and put the hot sauce and ranch on it. and It tastes great. But he doesn't have the ability to look at my van and say, this is what's wrong and I can fix it. See, too often you and I are having problems in our life. We're having these bumps and these knocks and we're getting into these ruts and we're going to the wrong place. We're going to people and to things and to others that can't do anything about it. When we come to Christ Jesus, we see you're holy. You're the one that can address this. He says, I am holy. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Because he's holy, he's not going to lead us into sin. It says, David says in the 23rd Psalm, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. He leads us in the path of righteousness because that's what he knows. That's who he is. He is holy. You want confidence? Go to the holy Lord Christ. See him as the holy one. Not only is he holy, Jesus is true. You and I can have confidence in Jesus because he is true. Oh man, that word true. Man, we don't know up from down when it comes to truth these days. Anybody heard some fake news this week? You know, I learned something this week. One of my favorite, one of my favorite things to read online is, is a Christian satire website called Babylon Bee. They pull these strange headlines about politics, about church, whatever, and they make up a fake story. You know going into it, it's supposed to be funny, it's supposed to be fake. See, satire reflects about culture in a way that makes you laugh, but it could be a little believable. Now, there are some of their stories like, wait, did that really happen? One of the most respected monthly publications in America, worldwide, is a magazine called The New Yorker. Maybe you're familiar with The New Yorker. Did you know that when The New Yorker was started over 75 years ago, it was started as a satire magazine? It wasn't meant to be taken seriously. See, it's funny how we can take something that is fake and adapt it and adjust to it and bring it so close into our lives that we lose the line of what is reality and what is false. But Jesus Christ stands there and says, if you want to know something that's real, if you want to know something that will never change, if you want to know something that is absolutely true, here I am. He is holy, he is true, he spoke the true word of God, he spoke what is true. You know, John 17, 17, Jesus is praying over his disciples, he says, Sanctify them in the word because your word is truth. Now let me, let me break that down for you just a little bit. Sanctify them in the word, which most of us would most naturally say, Well, that's scripture, the scripture is true, you better believe it is. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and by the Word were all things made that have been made, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want truth, it comes in Christ Jesus as we immerse ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into what it means to know and to follow and to love and to trust Him. Because He's holy and because He's true. But notice what else He says. He says there in verse 7, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David. See, Jesus is holy and Jesus is true. And because of that, Jesus is our access. He says, I'm holding the key of David. You know what keys do, right? I got a few keys here in my, my, I'm tell you what these keys go to. These, these buttons, they give me access to, to my van. I can go to any other 2005 Honda van and I can push that button. It's not going to give me access because it's not coded right. It's not the right one. Now, I got this key right here. This gives me access to my house. If you don't have this key, you don't. well, if you don't have one that's made like this, you don't get into my house. I got this key right here. This gets me into the, the prayer request boxes we have at Bear Creek Middle School. We go by every few weeks and check those as students and teachers uh, put prayer requests. We have little church cards that we put there. And it's been a good ministry to a lot of the faculty and staff at Bear Creek Middle School. But you've got to have that key. A couple of weeks ago, the parent liaison at Bear Creek caught up here because some kids put some money in the box that was supposed to go for something else. She couldn't get in to get the money she needed, so she had to call someone who had access. Oh, this one right here, I think everybody in Fairburn has this key. It gets you into our church. <laughs> if you don't have one, just look around. There's several laying around. We give them out like, you know, you come, you come to church and you get a mint when you get here. Well, we give them Kay's keys too, so you might as well. This key right here, it gives me access to the interior offices. My office, Charlie's office, Lewis's office, Joy's office. Now, most of our doors are unlocked, but if I need to get into a lot, one it's there. You know, there's a door upstairs up here on the kids' hall I don't have access to. I don't even know where the key to that thing is. I know a couple of that might have a key. I've been told that there's this fabled key. If you don't have a key, you don't have access Jesus says in John or Revelation chapter one, verse 18, I hold the keys of death and of hell. Jesus gives us the access to eternal life because he's holding the key that unlocks all of heaven and says, this is who I am. Man, he unlocks a door that can't be opened by anything else. The throne room of God. He unlocks the door to the holy of holies because he went in and he tore the veil in his flesh. And if you're a believer in Christ, he locks the door of hell. Hell has no power over you. Hell has no claim to you. Hell has no authority in your life. Because you have someone who has access to you and has given you access to all that God offers. This is a pretty cool Jesus, right? You want confidence? You wanna be able to stare death in the face and say, I have one who has overcome you, it comes in this Christ Jesus. Our church can have confidence, not because we have preachers, not because we have musicians, not because we have Sunday school, not because we have stained glass, but because we have a savior, King Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. See. Let me, do, let me be real with you. That would be good enough to know that we have Jesus and this is who Jesus is. That would be enough. But the passage doesn't stop there. So guess what? I'm not either. See, you and I today can have confidence because of what Jesus promises. The rest of the passage is based on promises that Jesus makes. We can have confidence because of who he is. We can have confidence in what he says. Notice what he goes on to say. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, Jesus is looking specifically at this church in Philadelphia. Now, here's the thing about Philadelphia. It's one of two churches that Jesus doesn't raise an issue with. Ephesus, you're doing all these great things, but you forgot your first love. And he goes on a little bit further. He says, okay, uh, Pergamum, uh, you've got some good things, but you are tolerating some false teaching. Thyatira, you're putting up with Jezebel, this false prophetess. Sardis, you're actually a dead church and you don't even realize it. But in Smyrna and in Philadelphia, it's look at what you have. He says here to this church, he says, I know your deeds. I I know what's going on. I'm watching your church function. I'm watching you operate. And, And you're doing a lot of good things, but it's not easy. You're being persecuted. You've got people coming after you. It's a difficult road to hoe here in the city of Philadelphia. But I want you to know something. I'm watching how you persevere. I'm watching how you hold on. I'm watching how you refrain from denying my name. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says that he is opening a door. See, what we find is that Jesus is the one who opens the door for ministry for us. Let me tell you what's going on in Philadelphia. And and, and it's similar to what we have here in Fairburn. I've put before you an open door that no one can shut. Why? Because you have a little power and have kept my word and not denied my name. Let me break that down. Philadelphia was committed to the gospel in word and in deed. They had a vibrant testimony of faith. It was not a, hey, look at us. We've got a bunch of good church members. See, here's the, danger of, here's the danger of church growth. And here's the danger of, of, of churches uh, looking bigger and bigger and better and better on the outside. We can put it on cruise control. It's easy to put it on cruise control, right? You know, you do that in a lot of areas of life. Things are, things are progressing. Things are going well. So you take a step back from vigilance. It's like if you get a sinus infection, right? and you're feeling miserable and you start taking some decongestant and you're like, okay, it's helping me out a little bit. And you get to that point where really you need to take medicine for another day or two, but because you're feeling better, you take your foot off the gas and you miss a dose here or there. And and you're like, okay, yeah, everything's going. And then three days later, you're back on the couch feeling like somebody smacked you in the face with a frying pan and you can't breathe and nothing's going right and your head hurts and everything's hurts, your ears hurt, your teeth hurt, everything, why? Because you started feeling good and you took your foot. See, churches do that too. Oh, yep. You know what? We had more people in Sunday school the last month than we had in five years. We have more people worship. Our offerings are up. And so we take our foot off the gas. But what happens in Philadelphia is even among their turmoil and even amid their successes, they continue to put the name of Jesus out front. Jesus is looking at them and says, I'm opening this door because you're being faithful. See, a faithful church is a church that continues to provide the gospel witness of Christ Jesus in everything they do, good or bad. You know what? It's okay if you sing a song out of tune on Sunday morning. Don't tell Lewis I told him that. I told you all that. I know he's not here today. It's okay. You know why? Because it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, be faithful in worship. You know, it's okay, Sunday school teachers, if you're teaching your lesson and the words don't come out exactly right and you don't say the exact right thing the way it's written on the page, you know why that's okay? Because you're being faithful to serve the Lord out of what he has put before you. You know what, food pantry people, when you're here unloading trucks and when you're serving and you're helping move bags and everything, it's okay if you call them by the wrong name. It's okay if you put one too many bags of rice in the bag or one too few bags of bags of beans. You know why? Because you are being faithful in what God has called you to do. Jesus says, you who are faithful in little will be entrusted with much. And he's opening the door of ministry based on faithfulness. But that serves as a warning because if we're not being faithful, guess what he can do? Because he's got the key. He can shut the door. You want to know why churches die every single week in America? Because they're not being faithful in proclaiming the gospel week in and week out. And I'm not talking about on the big platform. I'm not talking about just the Sunday school. I'm not talking about just big church worship. I'm talking about in the individual day-to-day lives because we are the collective whole of people that are gathered under the name of Christ. The gospel didn't just change me. It changed you too. And my responsibility might be up here and proclaim something bigger and louder and microphoned and everything that some of you would never dream of doing. But he didn't save just pastors to preach. He says, all of you, as you're going, go therefore to make disciples and proclaim the gospel. Or as he says in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 8, preach the gospel to all of creation. Not just the 12, all believers. He opens the door. Let me draw it in just a little bit tighter for you. I want to see our church grow. Now, I've shared with you before, I believe God has given me a, a clear vision of this sanctuary full of people worshiping him each and every week. From, from, from five years old to 95 years old. From from Fairburn, from Union City, from, from Ecuador, from Nigeria, from South America, Central America, North America, whatever America. But that doesn't happen on individual shoulders. It happens on our collected faithfulness to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Let, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase that, not just share. Sharing means that the other person's asked for it, right? We got kids at our house. We have to tell them to share toys. One of them's playing with something and all of the other, all of a sudden the other one decides, hey, I've not been interested in that in toy in like five years, but because you're playing with it, all of a sudden now I'm interested in it. And we have to say, they're interested too, you share, right? Few people are going to walk up to you and say, you know what, I noticed that you didn't order beer with your lunch. Will you tell me about Jesus? You know what? I noticed you didn't give that guy the finger because he cut you off in traffic. Can you pull over and tell me about your Lord and Savior? You've got a Jesus fish on your car. I need to know about this fish. It's not happening. But you know what is happening? You're going to the store. You're going to work. You're going to school. You're going to the doctor in a dead and dying world. And we've been asked to proclaim. Jesus opens the door. You know how he opens the door? He sends you through it. He puts you in that scenario. He puts you in that place for the purpose of what? Making others aware that there is a Savior. Jesus also upholds and confirms our faithfulness. Notice what he says in verse 9. See, I will cause those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews but are not, they are liars, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and to make them know that I have loved you. He is not saying people are going to worship you, okay? I just want you to know that Jesus is not promising that anyone's going to worship you because Jesus is not interested in anyone being worshipped except for himself, Alright? What Jesus is describing here is that those who have spoken against you, those who have persecuted you. See, Philadelphia is under severe persecution. It might have been the most persecuted church in the New Testament age. And so what's happening in Philadelphia is that the Jews are now uh, 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 broadcasting faithlessness. The Jews are now proclaiming that these these are false people and putting them over to the Roman authorities. And he said they're not part of us. But Jesus came. The gospel was first to the Jews than to the Gentiles. And so it was first century practice to worship alongside the Jews because that's what you knew. You just weren't worshiping the Messiah to come. You were worshiping the Messiah who's already come. And the most natural context, the context that the Messiah was proclaimed to have come to the Jews. And so what happens is these people are being pushed out and they're being put over and, and put into Roman control and to Roman uh, authorities because the Jews didn't want them there. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to uphold your faith. You're being faithful and I'm going to be your rescuer. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm going to be the one that vindicates you. I'm going to be the one that shows to them that no, 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 they're actually worshiping the true Messiah. You're not. You're worshiping something that's made by man, but I, they are worshiping the one who made man. They are worshiping me, the holy and true creator of God. He upholds, but it says he confirms. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing. Now, I'm going to be real with you for just a second. This verse does not prove nor does it disprove a pre-wrath rapture, a pre-tribulation rapture, okay? Some people will argue that because of what he says, he's going to keep you from that hour of testing. That proves that there's a rapture of the church before the tribulation. Some would also say, hey, look what this verse says. I'm going to keep you because that testing is coming to the whole earth and you're still going to be here. So I'm going to protect you in the tribulation. I don't think that's the point he's making. Because Jesus told all of us, in this world, you will have trouble. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Remember, he's true, so we can trust him, right? He's got this reputation of not lying to us, not leading us astray, not putting us in the path of sin. And so what we have to understand is that there is going to be trial, there is going to be tribulation, there is going to be turmoil, there's going to be something that makes you feel like you just got your teeth kicked in and your heart stomped on. It's going to happen. But Jesus says, you're faithful to me, so I'm your protector. What are they going to do? Take your life from you? you got eternal life. What are they going to do? Take your finances? They're going to take your job? Guess what? My God is faithful and just to supply all of your needs according to what? His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is not health and wealth, prosperity, gospel. This is what Jesus has promised. I am your protector and your defender because you have trusted me. And you can't just trust Jesus with the little things. you got to trust Jesus with everything. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your job, your future. You don't presume upon the future. You're just the one who holds your future. The one who sees all of your days as though they were none. The one who is eternal, who sees the beginning from the end and everything in between all at once. Because you're faithful to him. Because you trust him, because you proclaim his name, because you don't rely on yourself, you're relying on the only one who has the authority and the power to change your circumstance, to change your heart, to change your life, and to change those that are around you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm gonna uphold you. So what are they gonna do? Come and talk bad about you because you love Jesus. They're gonna call you a Jesus freak. They're gonna call you a Bible beater. They're not gonna invite you to that well, Super Bowl's already passed. What's the next big thing? Whatever the next big thing is, party. What are they going to do? They're going to laugh at you because you don't have the, the new Jay-Z CD because you'd rather listen to Lecrae or Shabaraka. They're going to laugh at you because instead of instead of going to, I don't know, Who's something something that other people listen to? Eagles concert, you can go see the Gaithers, I I don't know. He says, I'm going to uphold you. Why? Because I can. Because I'm holy and true. But Jesus also guarantees eternal security. See, this is the beautiful thing about the Christian faith. See, every other faith talks about what you have to do But the gospel is all about what's been done for you, what Christ Jesus has done. And notice what he says, starting in verse 11. I am coming quickly. Here's your warning. It could happen any time. Hold fast to what you have. Jesus brings this, 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 this conclusion statement of holding on tightly. It's the idea of clinging to it for everything you have. Because in Philadelphia, they were up against death. This was a life or death matter for them. It's not for us. It is in a lot of places in our world. Christians in Indonesia, Christians in Nigeria, Christians in in India, Christians in China, Christians all around the world. They hear these words, hold fast. Why? Because death is a real possibility because you believe in Jesus. Jesus. Man, we're lightweights. I'm just going to be real. We're, we're lightweights when, we, when it comes to persecution. But Philadelphia felt it real. And notice what Jesus says. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Wait, take your crown? See, Jesus is talking victorious terms. You may put, be put to death here, but you've already got the victor's crown of life there. You may have something that hurts you now, but Jesus is giving you the greatest thing possible, a position in eternity with him. He says, hold fast to what you have. And he who overcomes, oh man, look at it, threefold, threefold here. I will make him a pillar in the temple. Now, he's not going to turn you into like one of these columns over here, right? See, I, I like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, I, I, just, I just, Caribbean, Caribbean, however you want to say it, I don't, I don't care. I, I like those movies. And there, there, there's the one uh, where, where Bootstrap Bill Turner is face-to-face encounter with his son, Will Turner. But what's happened is because of uh, b- uh, Bootstrap Bill's in this uh, position of eternal purgatory because of transgressions against the captain, he's become assimilated into part of the ship. Now, he can somehow weirdly break away from it. He's got clams on him and like, stuff like hanging off of him. But it's part of the ship, part of the crew, part of the ship, part of the crew. And he backs off and then he becomes part. That's not what he's talking about. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians, or Ephesians chapter 3, Christ who dwells in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You by your faith in Christ Jesus are the temple of the living God. Because his spirit indwells you. His spirit doesn't just like pop on you now and then pop onto somebody else. When you became a follower of Christ, you became a holy temple of the Lord. And he says, you overcome, you've got this faith, you are part of my temple. This is an eternal state where you and I are in Christ. As he says in Ephesians, you who are already seated in the heavenlies... I know, look, look where you're sitting. You're sitting in a sanctuary. I get it, this is not heaven, and praise God this earth is not heaven. Praise God that this earth will be dissolved and something new, bigger, and better is coming for those of us who believe. But if you're in Christ Jesus, according to the word of God, you already have an eternal position in the heavenlies with the host of heaven. But then he goes further. It's kind of like when you're like watching these infomercials late at night on QVC. It's like, but wait, there's more. You know, there's always this extra because it's what God does. He's abundant. He gives more than we would ever think about. He gives us more than we'd ever imagine. He gives us something so greater and we're so foolish to try to exchange that for something we could do. But he says, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of the heavens. And I will give him my new name. You want to talk about something eternal? Flip over, if you will, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Because if you're putting your hope in anything that's right here in this world, sorry. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I know we're not gonna get to this this passage of scripture till like uh, September, October, but it says this. He says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away and there was no place for them. That verse simply means this, this ground that we're standing on, it's gone. What you and I would say right now is heaven, it's gone. Why? Because chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Something bigger, something incorruptible is coming for eternity. And Jesus says right here, I promise that if you hold fast, if you overcome, if you show the proof of your salvation because you were walking with me, you were diligent with me, this is the eternity that waits for you you. And it is sealed because of who he is. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of him. We can have confidence in what Jesus has promised. What do we do? How do do we put this in our heart? How do we walk away from this? Verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Folks, let me just tell you real quickly about this confidence, because I want you to have confidence. I want to walk in confidence. I believe this Holy Spirit of God in Christ Jesus gives us confidence. But confidence is a result of repentance. Confidence is a result of of repentance. And you're looking at that verse 13. You say, Evan, I know your method. You'd like to follow what's in the text. I don't see the word repentance anywhere. I know. See, repentance is the idea and it is the conviction that I am incomplete and there's only one who actually can complete me and that's Christ Jesus. I'm a sinner, but he's holy and sinless. So if I want to have the authority and the effects of sinlessness, it only comes through him, right? Yeah. So I've got to admit that I'm broken and I can't do it. And I've got to change course. I've got to change direction. My church can't do it. My pastor can't do it. My wife can't do it. My husband can't do it. My kids certainly can't do it. It doesn't only, does only, it only happens... When I turn to him, that's repentance. And because of repentance, we can have confidence because we've already seen who Jesus is. We've already seen what Jesus promised. Confidence is a result of repentance. You're like, well, what does that got to do with verse 13? Repentance relies on the Holy Spirit. See, repentance happens when you and I listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit of God. When he comes, he will bring conviction to the world regarding sin, righteousness, and the Son of Man. Sin because they thought they could do it righteousness because they weren't righteous, Son of Man, because they did not believe the words that I taught. See, the Holy Spirit comes and shows us who we truly are. The Holy Spirit shows us not that we're broken. I think we can look around and realize that the world around us is broken. The Holy Spirit shows us why we are broken. We're broken not because we're black, not because we're white, not because we're Republican, not because we're Democrat, not because we're rich, not because we're poor, not because we speak one language, not because we didn't graduate high school, not because we have college degrees. We're broken because we're people. And people sin. People sin because people are sinners. Repentance relies on the Holy Spirit to understand the why. John, Jesus says through the pen of John in Revelation chapter 3, verse 13, He who has an ear, what the Spirit says to the churches. You're not going to have confidence unless you have a repenting relationship with Christ Jesus, a relationship that says, I can't do it, I need him and I know I can trust him because of who he has shown me he is and what he has promised he would do. Repentance relies on the Holy Spirit. But then the Holy Spirit does something. The Holy Spirit fuels obedience. You cannot obey the commands of Christ on your own. That's why he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he's not talking about just here. So you're like, oh yeah, okay, I heard that, you know. It's like somebody says, hey, have you heard the new song? Well, what new song? Oh yeah, I heard that on the radio. But you don't know the words. You just know a little bit of the tune. You can't really figure that out. The hearing that we're talking about is a hearing that is action oriented. That says, you know what? Because I have heard what the Spirit has said to Philadelphia and has said to my heart today, I'm going to place all of my trust, all of my faith, and everything I do is going to be guarded, guided, and directed by the faith I have in Christ Jesus because He alone is worthy. He alone is holy. He alone is true. He alone is the one that can give victory. He alone, the Holy Spirit, speaks to our heart and shows us how. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. So the Oxford Dictionary says that confidence is a firm trust. Let me ask you, where are you placing your firm trust this morning? I pray that it's not on being here today. You know why? I love First Baptist Church of Fairburn, but First Baptist Church of Fairburn is full of broken people that are going to let you down. And you know what? Going to church didn't get anybody to heaven. Going to church might have shown someone the way to get to heaven, but it didn't get you to heaven. There are going to be a lot of people in hell that have perfect attendance pens, and I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. Are you putting your trust in what you put in the offering plate? See, the heart's deceitful. This is why we need a Savior who's true, because the heart's deceitful. The heart's going to tell you, well, you did some good things in the church. You did some good things in the church. You gave your money to the church, so you have to be okay. You're only okay if you hear what the Spirit says to the churches and you turn your heart to Christ Jesus and trust Him. So this morning... I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what hit you between the eyes this week. I don't know what's going to hit you between the eyes tomorrow. But today is the day where you can decide, I'm going to have confidence because of who Christ Jesus is.